0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Show. To learn more about what was discussed in this episode, including device configuration and specific examples, and how to listen to other episodes, go to www.cisco.com slash go slash security podcast and navigate to the Tax Security Show section. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number one of the Tax Security Show where our panel of experts discuss all things Cisco security, including configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues being seen by the Cisco technical assistance security teams. So today we're going to be discussing some of Cisco's firewall platforms. We're going to be talking about the PIX and ASA appliances, as well as the firewall services module, and a little bit about iOS firewall. So really the goal of this show is to provide useful troubleshooting information and tips directly from the TAC security teams to you, which are our customers. So we want to give you some of the knowledge and the techniques that we use in TAC every day to solve some of our customers' real-world problems. Each topic we discuss today we're going to be referencing on the show notes, so be sure to go there after the show if you want to uh, check out any of the things we talk about or for more information about the show. So let's kick things off. Um, I'm your host, Jay Johnston, and I'm from the firewall team here in RTP, North Carolina. I have a security CCIE, and I've been with Cisco for about five years. And with me in the studio today, we have a great panel of firewall experts. I'll start off by introducing my buddy Blaine Dreyer, who's also a security CCIE, and he's been with Attack and about five years. Blaine's currently with the firewall team, but he's moving to the IDS team. Blaine, why are you leaving us?
1: I, uh, I originally started out on the IDS team, and I'm a huge uh, script and application guy. I like the upper layers, and I wanted a CCIE, I decided one day. so. I thought I'd move to the firewall team to get a little bit more of the end of the lower levels in the OSI model and I thought that would help me a lot with understanding um, further things that I'd see on the CCIE exam and it did. So I got that and now I'm ready to head back because I really do love the upper layer protocols and I like working with IDS's and uh, especially host-based IDS's.
0: Okay. Alright, next up we got Magnus Mortensen. He's the tallest member of our crew and he's uh, currently fighting the CCIE battle right now. Magnus, uh, how's your CCIE Is he really the tallest
2: member? Yeah. I am the the tallest. How tall are you, Magnus? In at, coming in at about 6'7". Six, 6'7". Seven. Six, seven. So, uh, you know, we've, we've been a notoriously tall team, mm-hmm. and uh, I definitely uh, tip the scales there. But uh, with regards to the CCIE, I wish I could say it's going great, but uh, it has been a challenge. You know, I'm actively pursuing it, you know. We've got, CCIE? Uh, uh, security. Security CCIE.
0: How many, how many times have you failed it?
2: Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Two times <laughs> down. <laughs> all right. We've got uh, two failed lab attempts. They were close, but uh, what's the saying? Close only counts with horseshoes and hand grenades. So, uh, CCIE is not on that list. No, I mean it's it's a it's a challenge. It's a lifestyle. Bocce ball, ball counts too. Bocce ball counts. Well, you know it's uh, we've got all this equipment here with our labs. You know, and uh, being intact gives us that privilege to uh, study. Uh, with equipment live a little bit more than uh, say the average Joe would have, but that doesn't make it much easier for us. It's still a very challenging uh, goal to achieve, and uh, I'm definitely having uh, my, my moments with it. So, what technology are you, is your is your Albatross? What what are you struggling with? Oh, for uh, so me, uh, for me, it's VPN. Yeah. Uh, it I always felt weakest in the VPN area, and uh, you know, kind of going back to what Blaine mentioned. Um, the whole idea of moving around the teams just to kinda get a little bit more information uh, to approach the CCIU with is is definitely something that I could see value in Um, you know because on the firewall team we see it day in day out it becomes our lives so you know that's only a portion of the IE. Does
3: it concern you that they're changing the lab to version 3?
2: Since I have two failed ones on version two, oh yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's kind of got uh, got to kind of start from scratch and uh, relearn a lot of things for version three. But uh, so, what's new in version three? Uh, the list is uh, quite extensive. Um, a lot of stuff in VPN, I find, uh, is coming up in version three that I didn't have in version two. So that being my weakest spot, I could clearly see that being a challenge, but uh, I welcome oh. the challenge.
3: And since today we're talking about firewalls, uh, we should also mention that the version three starts with uh, ASA version 8.0. That there.
2: is true. That is true. Uh, gets rid of some of the uh, gets rid of the concentrator, um, which is a nice, nice addition there. But uh, you know just the VPN portion, I think is still going to get me, but uh, that's, that's where the studying comes in.
0: Okay. All right. Well, good luck. And next up, we've got, last but not least, David White. He's a CCIE. He's an escalation engineer in the TAC, and he's been with Cisco nine years. He's a Cisco press author, and he delivers a presentation on firewalls at Networkers every year. Some of you may have seen him, and most importantly, he loves Chick-fil-A. Absolutely. The Cokes, especially. He brought us Chick-fil-A this morning. (laughs) How is your Networkers presentation coming along this year, Dave?
3: Oh, funny you should ask. Uh, Actually, I had the content review on it yesterday, so... You know, obviously, at the time of this taping, we're several months out from networkers, but due to all the production issues uh, surrounding networkers, we actually have to con- have the content done for the slides well in advance of the actual show itself. So that's a little bit of a struggle. But
0: So are they giving you grief?
3: Not yet, but I'll <laughs> <right. laughs> have that to turn them in next week.
0: <laughs> well, good luck. Well, uh, we're going to start the show off with talking about a customer-facing tool that you guys can use, and in this case, we're going to talk about the RSS feeds hot issues. This is a tool you can use to stay current on some of your hot uh, the hot issues we're seeing here in the TAC, specifically bugs on the PIX, ASA, and Firewall Service Module Platform. And uh, I'll hand it off to Dave to explain what this new tool is. Thanks
3: Jay. So actually the idea for this tool came from a friend of mine, uh, Wes Sisk, who uh, we went to college together. And basically he's in the unified communication space where they handle the call manager of the unit the Unity, the IP telephones, and uh, meeting place voice gateways, stuff like that. And what we see is that a lot of the customers, when they call into the TAC and they're running into bugs, a large majority of customers are running into bugs that other customers have already run into. But there's not a really good way of classifying which bugs are the most common bugs customers run into. Right now, we have tools like Bug Toolkit, where any customer can go onto the web and onto Cisco's site and look at Bug Toolkit and see all bugs that are filed against any product at Cisco. It's rather unique to Cisco. But there isn't a way of saying show me the bugs that have the most customer cases attached to it. And so Wes had the idea of creating this tool and instead of just saying what's the aggregate count of cases attached, to make it more relevant uh, and current, it actually looks at the last four week time window. So how many cases have been attached in the last four weeks? And of those bugs that have cases attached in the last four weeks, they're then ordered by Uh, the ones that have the most cases attached to the least cases attached. And that's then published in an RSS feed. So we've expanded that recently to security products, including the ASA, the FWSM, and ASDM, or the Adaptive Security Device Manager. If you look out uh, right now, you'll see that there's about 50 hot issues or so listed for the ASA, and about 20 for the FWSM. If you subscribe to the RSS feed, then once you read through the hot issues, uh... every week when it's updated you only see the new issues at com any any existing issues that still stay on the list won't be sent in your RSS feed Uh, but you can also use the browser uh... which supports uh... xml and you can view those hot issue feeds as well we have a site called uh, supportwiki.cisco.com which is really a collaborative wiki with our customers where both TAC and customers and other organizations at cisco can add support topics to the wiki and on there if you go and search for hot issues the first hit you'll find is for the hot issue feeds for unified communications and security, and that's how you can go and find out more about it.
0: So I guess previously our customers, I mean, if they have a TAC case open and we say, okay, you're hitting this bug, I mean, they, they didn't have any visibility into what, you know, we, when we look at a bug online, internally we can see all the different TAC cases that are as- assigned to that bug, but I guess this is the first time that, um, I guess a customer can see externally if there's a lot of different customers hitting a particular issue, and previously, I guess, they didn't have that ability.
3: Right, so they still, you know, we don't want to share confidential information like what other customers are running into a given bug, so we don't do that. And we also don't share the aggregate count, but we do have them ordered on the XML such that the highest issue is at the very top. Now, depending on your RSS feed, um, they may or may not be ordered in the RSS feed depending on which one you use, but in XML output, they are ordered, so the the, highest number of customers that have run into an issue is at the
0: top okay so so an administrator could just come in you said it gets uh, updated every monday
3: yeah it's updated every monday and there's we kind of envision two ways of this of of customers using this the first way is a reactive way so the customer's running into an issue they can jump over to the rss feed or the website pull it up and say you know do a quick search in there glance down at you know it, can I find this issue really quickly? The other way is a, is a proactive way where you, know, you can subscribe to the RSS feed and just see the hot issues that customers are running into. and Take a quick look at them, they're dynamically linked and when you click on um, that issue, it's linked back to the bug Toolkit, so you can see more information about it, including the full release notes Good and detail. the version and stuff like that. And, and I might add that uh, the issues that are there are both open and closed issues, so both unresolved issues as well as resolved issues. Uh, so anyways, you can use it both ways, a reactive way and a proactive way.
1: And does any other variable factor into that and in how they're ranked other than the number of cases that are attached to each bug?
3: So, f- yes. So we do also have some thresholds that we put in. So for the ASA, we actually have some thresholds where based on the severity of the bug, as well as the number of cases, it has to meet a certain criteria in order for it to be visible. So for example, if it's uh, you know, a, a priority three bug, then you have to have at least three cases attached to it within the last week for it to appear.
1: Cool.
0: Okay, well, so if you're a firewall admin out there and you uh, handle one or more PICS firewall or ASA uh, firewalls, go ahead and subscribe to that RSS and then you may spot an issue you may hit or uh, an issue that um, you're already hitting that you have a tech case open for. Go ahead, if you want to take a look at this in action, head head over to the show notes and we'll have a a direct link to that feed so you can go ahead and subscribe. And it'll also have a link to the uh, support wiki page so you can see the instructions for um, subscribing to that. Okay, next up we're gonna talk about some troubleshooting tips and a specific feature on the firewall that all of us in the TAC know and love. It's the packet capture utility on the PIX, ASA, and the firewall service module platforms. I know my job would be a whole lot harder without this particular feature being being available and we use it all the time. And I mean, it solves a lot of cases for us. So, basically the history behind this feature is that when, back in the old PIX days, um, it was introduced, you know, the PIX, the PIX appliance processes all packets in software. So it's a lot easier for us to implement like a packet capture solution, say against a distributed switching platform like the 6500, right, on a switch. So I don't think it was all that tough to implement um, for us, but we basically made it so that you could have an access list and you could match traffic with that access list and apply a capture to an interface so you would capture those packets into RAM. And then you could look at them later to see, you know, information on the packets. you could look at the, the packet headers. You could look all the way down to the Ethernet, the Ethernet headers. So it's something that we use all the time um, to troubleshoot issues. Usually, we'll take a capture on both sides of the firewall of a particular flow that's failing. It could be, uh, you know, uh, just any IP flow. Um, we can also capture uh, some layer two information as well. So,
3: and I think, um, you know, you were starting to go about the the history, right? So it it actually, previously before this was introduced in six two one we had a command called debug-ip-packet, and that was used by a lot of customers and loved by a lot of customers where, you know, again, same, same exact thing, you're troubleshooting a problem a flow between a client and a server, and you want to see the packet details of that flow, debug-ip-packet just scrolled it up on whatever terminal session or the console. The problem is is that you had to do a lot of buffering with it. There was no uh, external buffering direct to RAM. It would go straight to the screen, and so the debug, or, or so the uh, packet capture utility solves that issue. Where you know you can put this on and we've done it I've done it a number of times where the CPU's pegged at ninety nine percent and I can still run uh, the packet capture without any concern of the box crashing or it causing any other issue because it, it's done you know at the same time we're processing the cap the the packet we're actually just copying it into RAM, and so um, the viewing and the displaying and the formatting of that packet actually comes later on when you go to 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 copy it off or to display it on the box
0: but going back to the debug packet, I, that was before my time I mean. You know, I, I came in, I guess, in two thousand three, two thousand four. So I, I think I had one case where a customer was like, "This feature isn't working," or it, regarding the packet, ca- the uh, debug IP packet. And you know, we told him to try the capture utility, and he tried it out. And he's like, "Oh yeah, this is great." But uh, so, it, what? What did the old? It just displayed the packets to the screen. I mean, yeah, it just, just like said, debug IP packet yeah, on that, right? Yeah, it
3: okay. just displayed the packets to the screen. Um, you know, similar like debug ICMP trace, where you can just do it as a quick and dirty way of, of seeing what's right. going on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, customers loved it, and actually, that was the biggest complaint when we tried to move customers off of the debug packet onto Packet Capture, was that you couldn't get real-time output from the Packet Capture. Instead, you know, we, we saved it into RAM, and then you had to do a show capture to, to yeah. display it. Okay. And so that was, a for those customers that were used to the old way, that was a big complaint. And so recently, uh, we've introduced a way of a real-time, quote-unquote, real-time option, to the uh, packet capture feature where you can display the output in real time such that it behaves like the old uh, debug packet used to.
0: Cool. So hopefully those customers are happy. So let's go around, I mean, you know, we use this every day. Can we get, you guys got an example of when this really saved the day, this feature, just helped you
2: figure out what was going on in a customer's case? Uh, I mean, for me personally, I mean, I I think I use it uh, out of five cases a day, say, three out of the five. I see some value in using the packet capture you know, um, it it helps us kind of prove what's really happening at the lowest of layers. I mean, somebody can come in and say, you know, I I can't FTP from my host on the DMZ to something out on the internet, or, you know, my FTP server on the inside's broken, and there's not a lot of information that comes along with that. Um, But getting into packet captures for something like that, we can see, you know, exactly what's happening. We don't have to worry about, you know, problems on the application side, or, you know, either the customer might not be seeing the, the error correctly, but, you know, we can see down in, in all honesty, down and dirty. What's happening on the lowest yeah. of layers?
0: And it's like I don't know. There's no ambiguity there. The customer opens a case, traffic's not getting through, or firewall's dropping, or whatever. Okay, so put a packet capture on either side, on both interfaces, and you can very quickly tell exactly what's going on. And, and
3: that's that's the key too, which I think you know, and and educating customers on the feature that they kind of miss out on is, yes, it, it essentially you can turn the firewall into a sniffer. But the beauty is, is that you can put it on both interfaces so that as a packet comes in the ingress interface you can capture it before the firewall does any processing on it and then as the capture as the packet leaves the egress interface you capture the packet after the firewall does all processing so we can definitely determine what, you know, if you compare those two packets and the captures you can definitely determine what if anything the firewall has done to the packet yeah. and, and that's the real beauty of it.
2: I mean, uh, I've, I've had a couple of cases uh, with, specifically on FTP where you know, a customer will come to me and say, you know, I can't get my FTP server in the DMZ to work. Um, we threw on some packet captures, and what we would notice is, you know, uh, kind of a throwback to our FTP inspection that we have on the firewalls. Uh, we look for the embedded IP addresses in the control channel, and we fix them up if you're doing any sort of NATing, or, you know, we open up access lists, uh, and essentially open up connections for the data channel. We do a lot of work on the FTP control channel, and that requires having specific things in the control channel. You know, the, let's say we're doing a translation through the firewall, so we've got our internal DMZ host and we've got, uh, he's getting translated to an address out on the internet. Um, you know, that server has to send its internal IP address, its private address, so that the FTP inspection can correctly fix that up as it passes through to a, a client that's, say, on the internet. Um, I've had a handful of cases where that was essentially where the problem was. And packet captures gave me the ability to go through and see, you know, okay, your server's sending, well, that's not your server's private address. You know, it's sending the guy, the server next to its private address or it was some configuration on the server that was advertising the incorrect IP address. Um, without the packet captures, you know, we essentially look at syslogs and we see, okay, well, we got con built, con tore down, and the client side can't connect. We don't see the port or passive replies. But getting into those packet captures, you can see, boom, there's the error.
0: Yeah, it's like, and especially cases where something weird is going on. You know, the customer's like, well, I can get to every website on the Internet except for one, right? And I had a, I had a case like that where they couldn't get to this one website. Every single time they tried, you know, it just, the, the connection failed. And, I mean, our firewall, you know, they didn't have anything configured to block a specific website, right? But we didn't know what was going on. So we just took packet captures on the inside and the outside of that TCP connection, and then we saw that... Randomly, about halfway through the uh, HTTP transfer, there was just a reset coming from someone on the inside, and it was sourced from the IP address of the client. So everything looked normal, but if you if you did a show capture detail and actually looked so that it would show you the, the MAC addresses, the source and the destination MAC addresses on the, on the reset packet, the source MAC address was different from all the other packets. And that's, and now we know to say, okay, that, that's like a red flag you know, obviously this reset packet's coming from a different, you know, layer two next hop off that interface, and it turned out it was a WebSense server. So, uh, the WebSense, somebody, they were spanning the traffic to the WebSense server, and it was doing some sort of, like, URL filtering, and it was sending a reset for that, for that connection, closing it down, and we wouldn't have known, really, unless we had gone down to that level to see, uh, this, you, to see the source mac and see it was not coming from the client.
1: So, to kind of follow up on what Dave was saying earlier about tying a packet capture to your ingress and egress interfaces, You can gather a lot of data by using um, different depths of the show capture command. When you're doing a a show cap, it'll show you a byte count applied to each capture that you have configured. And if the byte count is the same, oftentimes the packet has not been altered in any other way than to uh, process NAT or possibly change IP options, et cetera. that's a good in- indicator that the firewall isn't doing something malice or that the firewall isn't missing some packets or dropping some packets. The bytes are the same, so you see the same packets so on both bytes. the bytes, bytes are the same on both captures applied? Right. Both captures applied. So you have to on be really features.
3: strict in your ACLs to get just that flow, though. Otherwise, there's a lot of times you'll see more traffic on you know one of the captures on the other just because it's picking up additional flow right and drop packets so
1: one of the and that brings up a good point because one of the things that we encounter a lot is dynamic pad on the outside Mm -hmm. so on the inside you're easily enough capturing from an internal host to an external IP when that external web page only resolves to a single IP that makes everything easy but on your outside you're doing dynamic PAT, which you essentially have to capture from you know one global address to everyone on the internet, unless you can find one particular site that only resolves to a single IP. If that,
0: yeah, if it's a DNS or you know, some, right. like I don't know, some major web page is a DNS. So, might resolve.
1: take Google for instance. You know that that resolves to several different IPs. Cisco.com is an easy one that resolves to a single IP. So we use that a lot in our tests. But uh, to follow up on what Jay was saying about the web server sending a reset. That falls into play with IPS's as well, and IDS's. Uh, and regardless of the manufacturer, you're always going to see kind of the same behavior from an IDS. If it doesn't like what it sees, it's going to send a reset. And that's kind of a promiscuous, passive way of doing things, which we've moved on from that uh, with our inline sensors here at Cisco. But there are still a lot of IDS's out there that will just send resets to try to tear down connections. They'll chase it down with the reset. So the MAC address, when doing a show capture and then your capture name detail, will actually show you who sent that. If that doesn't match up with the host that owns that IP address, you know you've got a culprit.
0: And I guess it only works if it's on the same Layer 2 subnet, you know, in the
1: same broadcast. Image. Definitely, yeah. And yeah.
3: The other thing is, I mean, we're talking a lot about the show capture output, right, show capture, capture name, or show capture, capture name, detail. But to me, I mean, another powerful portion or option of it is you can pull it off in a PCAP format. So that way you can open it up in Wireshark or Etherreal or or something like that to actually view the contents especially the layer five through seven information a mm-hmm. much easier to read format than yeah. the show capture detail and you know the show capture dump output which will display the whole make sure you got your page turned as well on
0: before you uh, do show capture dump right like <laughs> dumping out the memory blocks can use up your use up, take hours to get past all that output well let's talk about a little bit about how you use this feature so In the old days, um, actually up until pretty recently, you used an access list on the firewall that wasn't bound to any interface. It wasn't permitting or denying traffic. All it did was specify what you wanted to capture. So you would use the capture command on the command line, and you would say capture, and you would specify an access list, and you would specify an interface or two uh, to apply the capture to. You can also specify how much traffic Uh, you want to capture and you can also say that the capture is going to stop capturing once it hits its limit or it can be a circular buffer capture so it'll keep capturing and the newest packets it captures will go to the go into the capture and the oldest ones will get deleted and that's really handy if you've got a problem like you know you know I've got a gigabyte FTP transfer and halfway through sometimes it gets disconnected well you know it's hard to get a sniffer trace of a gigabyte so go ahead and just uh, set a circular buffer capture for 10 mega, 10 megabytes on each interface, and you'll probably catch the end of the session where whatever it is fails, so you can see the end of it.
1: Yeah, the other cool thing is that you can disable a capture from a, a particular interface without actually killing the capture. Without so, deleting? Without deleting okay. it. So, I've had a lot of uh, issues where the customer says, well, this connection comes up okay, but then, you know, after an hour, just like you said, it dies, right? So if you can capture the beginning of the session we know how it's built we know what connections are built in what succession and then capturing at that ten minute mark or that hour mark or whenever helps us understand why the connection was torn down. We can correlate that with syslogs and any logs from the server or client where that connection was located and that helps us determine the problem. source yeah, of the problem.
0: And the capture utility will um, you know log the, write the timestamp of when the packet was captured on the firewall, and so it's pretty precise. I mean, you can see like, okay, a packet coming into the firewall is captured at you know time X, and then packet leaving the firewall is time X plus you know however many microseconds. So it's it's pretty precise. It's a, I don't know, it's a good tool. Um, so we talked about using an access list to define your traffic. Recently, we made a change so that you could you didn't have to define an access list uh, to tell the capture what you could capture. It would, you could use the match argument. So you can say capture. I'm going to apply it to my inside interface. I'm going to use the match argument to say I only want to capture IP packets from host A to host B, and uh, that just saves you from having to go into config mode and you know uh, create or edit an access list. Some some of our customers wanted um, didn't want to have to do that. And yeah, so, that
3: was a that was big with the larger enterprise customers where basically anytime you get into config mode you have to have a change control. Oh uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, we go on to troubleshooting, like we, like Magnus yeah. was saying. I mean, uh, this is a very useful feature for us in the TAC. And we say, hey, we need to capture these packets. And they, they said, okay, how do you do it? You know, we say, well, we've got to define an ACL to capture the traffic. And, like, sorry, we've got to do a maintenance window for that. You can do that at 2 a.m. <laughs> you know, so this allows you to actually, from the exec mode, you don't have to get into config mode, but from the exec mode, you can define the capture and the match criteria all at the exec prompt.
1: It brings up a good point though, in that the captures are stored in volatile memory. Right? Yeah, so if yeah. you define an ACL, you define a capture, and you identify the problem, and then you reboot the firewall, the capture has gone. Yeah. So you know that kind of brings us to what Dave was saying, in that you can copy these captures off via a slew of protocols, but our favorite are generally, you know, probably FTP and uh, HTTPS. And um, so you can copy this off and look at it in Wireshark or TCP dump, whatever you're liking. So. That's much more powerful than doing a show command on a CLI.
0: Yeah, just go the the URL. I think you you access the web server built into the firewall to pull it down, and you can have it dump out dump it out in text file, or do the slash pcap at the end of the URL, and it'll dump it out in binary. And we'll have that we'll have all that info info for I you. I guess on one the more show. thing
3: I should add, since you know this is hopefully our customers are listening, is a uh, you know we're all CLI junkies, and I know a lot of our customers are too. But for those that aren't. The capture utility, uh, we created a wizard for it in ASDM. I believe it was in ASDM version 6.0. So you can go to the wizards menu and there's a capture utility there where you can both define the capture criteria as well as um, you know pulling the captures off right within that same window. And it'll pull them off and launch Wireshark or Ethereal if
1: you have it installed on your box. So that makes it easier for those ASDM users that are out there. So one of the other cool parts too is that uh, we can watch packets as they're dropped as they go through the firewall. So we can look at syslogs, we can try to correlate why the packet was dropped, but sometimes um, we can't get a specific enough answer as to why, and we want to know a little bit more detail as to how the firewall treated that packet and where it went in the processes inside the inside the firewall. So we have this uh, concept called the uh, accelerated security path, and. We pass packets through different checks as they go through the firewall, such as in specs and checking simple things like checking ACLs, doing URL filtering, et etc. Et so we can actually look at the count of packets that have been dropped for any given particular reason by doing a show ASP drop. And you can clear those counters with a clear ASP drop. So the most powerful thing about the ASP drop in conjunction with the packet capture utility is that you can capture for a particular reason or all reasons of the ASP drop. So if the packet is dropped, it's going to be in the capture that's tied to the reason you defined. So that's extremely powerful in determining, okay, well, I have 15 packets that were dropped you know, because of an ACL drop, but I don't know what those 15 packets are. So I'm going to do a packet capture on that particular drop reason, and then I can look at the packets and see if that's my affected server.
3: I think a related point to that too is a, a feature that we just had them add uh, in the not-too-distant past where uh, as Blaine was saying, you can capture on all the ASP drop reasons, and you can see the packets that were dropped and you know source destination IPs and ports and everything. But once you captured on all, you couldn't tell uh, you know, for any given packet what ASP drop reason it was. That was
0: so annoying.
3: So we added a feature now where, is, at least if you do a show capture on the CLI um, and you're capturing against the ASP, It'll show you the actual drop reason against every single packet, and that's extremely useful. Uh, what uh, what build that was out. that in? Oh, Magnus, you would ask me on the spot. I'm not <laughs> I, I don't remember. I believe we added it in the 7.2 and above, I think. Oh. Um so it should be in the latest 7.280 and 8.1 releases.
0: Hmm. It's just handy. I know when I get on the customer's box, I'm like, okay, show ASP drop. You know, looking at the ASP drop captures and if they do have that enabled, if they're running that version, it's it's handy. Definitely handy.
1: So uh, we were also talking recently about um, the amount of data that's captured uh, per packet. So originally it was 68 bytes, and we've recently bumped it up to 1518. And what's the point of bumping it up to 1518 from 68? Not necessarily 1518, but why do we make it any yeah, so larger? That was
3: my uh, demand. <laughs> I actually got that put through. So by default it was 68, and we would have customers, uh, you know, do the capture for us, but. Sometimes the tech engineer would forget to tell the customer to set the packet length equals to 1518. And like in Magnus' example, where he's doing FTP, right? The FTP is you know, the port command and the IP address is all after the first 68 bytes of the packet. You only get you know, the Ethernet layer, uh, the IP layer at layer three, and part of the TCP layer at layer four, but you don't get anything above that at 68 bytes. So. You know, a lot of times customers were doing the capture sending us the data after they reproduced the problem and then we didn't have enough data because we didn't have enough of the packet so we changed that to be 1518 by default why just to make it, sure why
0: wasn't it 1518 to start I mean I know with TCP dump on Linux that, I think that's the reason so, that's the reason yeah sure okay
1: well it's fixed now I guess
3: yeah
0: which
1: is good and
3: all the latest versions from uh, actually from 63 up uh, and the latest builds it's it's all 1518.
1: So you can see simple things like uh, you know your three-way handshake, et cetera, on the lower uh, 68 bytes. But you know having that extra count is helpful for HTTP connections or database connections or anything else where there's actually readable embedded text inside yeah. the packet in the Absolutely. data portion. Well, even even <laughs>
3: actually, uh, you know we've taken some phone proxy cases. I know Jay's been uh, taking quite a bit, and even cases where you know you have problems. Um, such that you'll hear poppy noise in, in the stream, right? Well, if you capture the full 15, 18-byte packets, you can pull it in Wireshark and have a utility to actually pull out the the audio stream out of that and play that audio stream. But if you got the first 68 bytes, you wouldn't be able Probably to do that. going to sound
0: like much,
1: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that's exactly why uh, a feature like phone proxy was implemented, right? Because you can't actually <laughs> translate that packet capture back into voice and sit there and listen to it. But that's an extremely helpful troubleshooting technique as well. Yep. So we've
0: been talking about this thing like it's the best thing since sliced bread, but obviously, it okay, it is, Magnus <laughs> says it is, but obviously it's got some, um, some quirks that you have to work out. So on the Pixasa platforms, the only thing I can think of that's, um, that's limiting on it is it doesn't capture packets, not, it doesn't capture non-broadcast packets that are not destined to our MAC address, okay, with, um, I think the exception is ARP, right? So if there's a unicast packet on the LAN and it's destined to a unicast MAC address that's not ours, we won't capture it. So if something's being flooded out on the LAN, and it's a unicast uh, layer two frame, we're not gonna pick that up.
2: Yeah, I I had a customer who wanted to uh, use a spare port on their firewall as uh, essentially a sniffer for their network and span all of their network's traffic to this port that was doing nothing more than just picking up packets. Uh, And essentially couldn't do it for that very reason.
3: And one exception, I guess, a little random, but on the 5505, right, where it has a embedded switch in there as well, you can mm-hmm. actually, in addition to capture, you can do port mirroring or port monitoring. Yeah. Right? So in that case, you would be able to capture everything
0: on that,
2: you know, that you're spanning over, but in the general sense, right? Any of
0: you can. guys use that on the
2: 5505? Sure, That's yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the one that I've got uh, set up for my workstation here is got that going over to one of my servers so I can see and troubleshoot stuff constantly. It's... It's great. I mean, it's a little switch, got a lot of the uh, nice features of a little switch.
3: One other uh, feature that was added recently with Packet Capture 2 that we'll probably just briefly mention, maybe in a future episode we can talk about uh, the the Packet Tracer utility, but um, actually Blaine came over and talked to me about this today, was that in the capture option you also have an option when you're defining a capture that's called trace. And what that does is as a packet is captured via the capture utility, we're also tagging that packet to say trace it, Uh, Through the path of the firewall and every action taken on that packet, uh, record that action as well. So after you capture the packet with the trace option, you can then do uh, show packet capture trace and the packet number, and you can see actually what all actions the firewall took on it. And that's uh, it's tied into the packet tracer utility.
0: Okay, and probably we'll we'll definitely talk about the packet tracer utility uh, in a future episode because that's a that's a really nice feature as well. So what do you guys? I mean, you download these captures, you look at them. I mean, there's tons of different you know, analyzing. You can open up the binary file in lots of different uh, programs. So what do you guys like to use?
1: Well, I always use Wireshark. It's easy. It's free. Um, I love TCP dump and it's on so many platforms, it's really easy to use. And uh, so that's very helpful as well. But when you're analyzing a packet capture, Wireshark does some nice color coding. And it it follows packets. You can analyze uh, an entire trace, uh, look at throughput, etc. So that's really helpful.
3: The other beauty is, you know, besides the ease of use and readability is um, for really large stuff that does a lot of uh, statistics, right? So you mm-hmm. can run statistics yeah. on the captures and see the easily number of flows and and all that sort. You know the number and of the packets voice per stuff, flow. Like the jitter and yeah, right. it, it's great. You can great. even
2: export the raw audio out of some RTP streams. It's yeah.
1: sure and one of the Swiss Army
2: knife of yeah. packet capture goodness.
1: And one of the situations that we get in uh, a lot with firewalls are we deal with a lot of customers with uh, custom applications or mm-hmm. applications that we're only going to see once in our troubleshooting lives, right? So we look at the the succession of packets and the way that two um, pieces of an application talk, whether it be a client server, two servers, whatever. And uh, so one of the the coolest features that I like in Wireshark that you get over TCP dump or any ASCII format is you can actually mark packets. So I found myself several times putting an ingress and an egress packet next to each other physically on the screen and marking packets as I go down to tell which packets made it through, what was altered in the packet, et cetera. So that's really helpful with Wireshark as well.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about the firewall service module. Um, uh, We're going to talk about how it does packet capture. So the firewall service module, the architecture is slightly different, okay? So most of the traffic is processed down in special uh, network processors called the FastPath NPs, Network Processor 1 and Network Processor 2. Because the architecture is slightly different, when we finally did implement the packet capture utility on the firewall service module, um, there are some limitations to it. So the first thing is you have to use an access list to specify what traffic uh, you're going to be capturing. And what that, that function does, when you enable the capture, it will actually punt a copy of that packet up to the main CPU on the firewall for capturing. So you've got to be kind of careful because since most of the traffic's handled uh, down in the fast path, if you use an access list, say like a permit IP any, any to capture traffic on an interface, that means that all those packets are going to get punted up to the main CPU of the firewall, and that might not be a good thing, obviously. Yeah, and
3: just to, to compare that on the PIXASA side, I don't think we mentioned it, but uh, the access list was optional. So if you don't add an access list, it yeah. captures right. all the packets that it can on the, on the interface. And that's the difference with the F2SM is we don't want to do that because, you know, some customers do apply um, the access list or apply the capture without the access list. And when they do make that mistake, we did not want all that, yeah. you know, it could be up to five gigs plus of traffic to be punted up to the central CPU because that would just overwhelm it. So therefore, that's why that limitation's there.
0: Yep, and there's been some bugs with the packet capture utility on the firewall service module. Nothing major. Um, Mostly it just doesn't capture all the packets it should. We fixed a lot of those bugs uh, in the latest builds that are on CCO. Most of those um, bugs are worked out. There's still some issues. It doesn't capture egress multicast traffic. What else? Um, It does capture traffic that's not destined to our MAC address. So I had a case the other day with a customer where they were seeing traffic being flooded on their land. And we actually went into the firewall service module and used a capture and saw that traffic destined to a different MAC address um, hitting the firewall. And so we knew that the switch was flooding that traffic because it wasn't learning the MAC address. It didn't have the MAC address in its cam table. So that was pretty useful. Well, you're, I,
1: you're talking about um, flooding and, and using the packet capture utility there. I've run into many cases recently, especially with the recent um, uh, number of viruses that have come out, where. Uh, one host on the inside is has become a zombie, and he's woken up, and he's attempting to DOS some site out there. Mm-hmm. So the packet capture utility, working with ingress captures uh, on the inside interface, is really helpful in that sense. You can really look at a packet capture that fills up to a meg immediately, and it's all coming from one host to various ports on a single or multiple IPs on the internet.
3: Yeah, we should mention that uh, the usability of the packet capture in FPM is really just three one and higher, and and two three the packet capture. Uh, does not capture traffic passing through the firewall. It only captures traffic that is destined to or sourced from the firewall. So pretty much it's it's useless. Pretty and, much and, useless. Below yep. version 3.1, but 3.1 and higher, uh, the latest build, as Jay said, is, uh, is, is, you should be fine.
1: So one thing that it can help you with, even if it's only capturing traffic destined to the firewall, is that I ran into an issue a little while ago with uh, SNMP going to the firewall, querying the firewall, and there were no syslogs to indicate that the the firewall was actually not responding to the SNMP request, but I found that in a packet capture and I see the host requesting it. So, I know it's not lost over the network, but the firewall is probably misconfigured somehow. And lo and behold, there was one number in the uh, host IP uh, portion of the SNMP server command that was misconfigured. So, I think we're going to move on a little bit and start uh, briefly talking about iOS packet captures, which we'll, we'll jump into detail in a little bit later episode, but We've recently implemented the ability to do uh, basically the same thing on iOS boxes. So, we implemented this feature in a 12420T on uh, the ISR routers as well as the 7200 routers that allows you to configure a capture buffer and uh, configure uh, what packets you want to see in a capture and capture those packets to volatile RAM in, in much the same way that uh, the Pixar ASA does. You can then copy those off and look at them in libpcap form, which is a Wireshark readable, you know, uh, any packet capture utility you want to you want to read with. And so uh, it essentially does the same thing, but uh, we'll get into details a little bit uh, in, a, in a later session.
3: Yeah, I think that's the main thing is uh, we want to make customers aware of, is that it is a brand new feature on iOS since then 12.420T, and the name of it is also the iOS Embedded Packet Capture, EPC is the name, uh, so slightly different name, it, it functions, you know, the, the end goal is essentially the same, but how it operates is different. And like Blaine said, we can uh, talk about that in a future episode.
0: Yeah, I think we've, we've pretty much talked the packet capture utility to death on the PICS and the ASA and the Firewall Service module. So we're going to move on. But uh, if you have any questions or uh, you want to learn more about this, go to the show notes. Well, that's it for this first episode of Tax Security Show. My name is Jay Johnson. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can open a TAC case at any time at www.cisco.com slash TAC or by calling 1-800-553-2447, a.k.a. 1-800-553-CHIP. So join us next episode where, among other things, we're going to be discussing the new features in the upcoming major ASA release. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the TAC Security Show. To learn more about what was discussed in this episode, including device configuration and specific examples, and how to listen to other episodes, go to www.cisco.com go securitypodcast security podcast and navigate to the Tax Security Show section.